IntelliKey Leadership Stories, the podcast for conscious leaders. We share the lessons learned from global leaders making an impact for their organizations, stakeholders, and investors. For people, community, and environment, we get inspired by their experiences, attitudes, and practices. Here are your hosts for IntelliKey Leadership Stories, Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stenson. Welcome back, friends, to our podcast for leaders that are building and organizing and guiding their organizations to a higher potential, a soul's purpose. And Kirsten, these are the conversations we're having with leaders all over the world, aren't we? Mark, and in all different industries, leaders that are revolutionizing where we're going. Well, and this idea of doing well and doing good for the companies. And I think human resource leaders and executives are especially challenged these days. And it's in that context that we want to welcome our guest, Oliver Essman. Oliver, welcome to the program. Thank you. Glad to be here. Oliver is a managing partner at Strawn Arnold and Associates. They're leaders in executive recruitment and organizational development, but also in Oliver's background is senior HR leadership roles at major companies in the pharmaceutical industry and the life sciences. And maybe that's a good place to start, Oliver, is the reputation and the soul's purpose, if we can use that term, of life science companies. And where do you think we stand these days, especially in the medical and clinical and pandemic challenges that the world is facing? You know, it's funny. Prior to COVID, pharmaceutical companies were in general thought of as, you know, the lowest of the low because, you know, high prices and all those kind of things. And then the COVID vaccines came out. And places like Pfizer and AstraZeneca and Moderna, those people were just standing tall. They were, they'd never been more proud of their companies. And so it's interesting that many people go into life sciences to be in an industry where you can do good. And we have tangible proof of how great that is with what's happening with COVID even today, even with Merck, you know, that, those latest pills. So, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting time as it always is in the life sciences industry. How are you navigating working with leadership across various entities, the transition, you know, post-COVID world? I mean, we're still in COVID, right? But right, yeah. Exactly. How, how are you positioning leaders for the future and what type of leadership are you looking for? This was a great reveal. Most leadership was not ready. Nobody was ready. Nobody was <laughs> no, ready. Yet. Nobody right. was right. ready right. when everything closed down. So lots of companies, you know, stumbled and bumbled. Once they closed, getting the IT back up, getting people back engaged, that was almost the easiest part. It's getting people back in the office. It's getting people to go back to normal. That tends to, that's for some reason has been more difficult, actually. All pharmaceutical companies had to deal with who needs to stay at work and manufacture and all the safety stuff around that in plants testing the masks, the PPE, and then who goes home and how do you keep engaged? And interestingly, the keeping engaged with Zoom turned out to be easier than most people thought. You know, people were, were at home and all of a sudden they, they could move to Wyoming and nobody would care because they were on Zoom. And the hardest part has been to figure out how to get back to what the new normal is. And a lot of executives have spent time managing their staffs in a little more nurtured way. People who never thought you could do remote work now realize you can do remote work. That has been a sea change in the industry. Just oh, huge, huge. I mean, I'll huge. even tell you my last role in a you know, C-suite position 
we were a global entity and I've grown up in technology. So being right. not in an office was what you did. Old leadership really wanted us at our desk from eight to five, even as C-suites, they wanted us in the office and yeah. watching. And this was right before COVID, there was a huge discussion. So how yeah. are they embracing this now? They have no choice. They're embracing it now. And they realize that people are getting comfortable with it. And they've figured out that their companies can run at some degree of remote. So we are recruiting people completely virtually from the CEO down to, you know, manager kind of people. And a lot of people in our industry are never going back to the office the way they used to. They're certainly never traveling the way they used to. You know, who would ever go on a two-day trip anymore to have one meeting? Well, it might happen, but it's, been, it's not going to happen as often. So, I mean, I think there's been a sea change and CEOs and C-suite people have all had to learn that. And the ones that haven't learned it, they're still learning because people aren't coming back and they can't recruit people and they're losing people. So that's all here to stay. And I'd say a lot of attention has been paid to that by the C-suite people because that's how you keep a company going. And it's interesting, Oliver, that when you said that some of the logistics and technology were the easiest parts, but now as we're looking ahead, maybe over the horizon to what's going to be new normal, yeah. how do you see HR really contributing more to that corporate strategy, not just a people strategy? Right. Well, you know, HR people are dying to do corporate strategy. And, you know, because they're not finance people and because they're not, some of them aren't thought of as, you know, strategists, they haven't been allowed to. But now those people are in the middle of this. So really, the HR folks are trying to navigate all of these tactical issues and strategic issues about how do people come back to work? Who comes back to work? How do you assess people? How do you live on Zoom? Can you live on Zoom? Do you need to be in the office a little bit? What all those people issues are, are all now falling into the hands of HR folks. And remember, they're learning as they go. They've never done this before. They are learning as they go. And they're finding that people are being resistant to coming back, as are many of them, by the way, resistant to come back. And so, and it hasn't been as hard to convince the CEO that you don't have to come back quite as much as he or she thought you had to. Um, so I think that people are learning and HR people are having to step up because they're right in the middle of all this, including the vaccine mandates. Mm -hmm. Some pharma companies are not doing vaccine mandates, but they know exactly who's vaccinated and who's not. And they're working on the people that aren't because eventually there will be some return to work, some hybridization return to work three days out of the office, two days into the office, let's go to a corporate retreat. And they will have to figure that out, but they're right in the middle of it now. Mm -hmm. And talking about strategy, I think of it, Kirsten, you and I used to talk about the soft skills, you know, yeah. and the mm -hmm. euphemisms now about calling them chief people officers as if they weren't people before they were just human assets. But Oliver, I'm curious from your point of view, how have true chief HR officers embraced the whole person, not just the working you know, resume of the person. So there has been a need to value people in a greater way than there had before and to nurture. And, you know, those words have been thrown around in the HR and C-suite offices for years, nurture, 
be an advocate, grow people. But now, when they're not right in front of you, you need to do that in a bigger way. So for instance, CEOs are doing much more face-to-face -face kinds of team meetings. There's a lot more CEO and C-suite interaction, if you will, with not only their key people on Zoom, but also with the company as a whole. A, the communications infrastructure in companies has gotten much more intense because there's a desire to hold on to people. You know, once you're not in the office, is that umbilical cord cut? And can you then go anywhere and do anything? And how, you know, I don't, I hate the word loyalty, but like, how do people stay in touch and stay valued? And companies are trying to figure that out now. And it's not about money and compensation and benefits. It's about how you feel about the company. As an example, the people at Pfizer, the people at Pfizer for years, have been beaten around by M&A and consolidations and layoffs, et cetera. And many people are dis were dissatisfied at Pfizer. Now they hold their head high in a way they haven't for years because they have contributed to this amazing thing called a vaccine. And so they value their company. So how do other companies try to get their folks to value the work they do which is critical, and the company that they've, they work for. Like those two things hold people, in addition to the company understanding that remote is okay, but you can go anywhere now and be remote, but valuing the work you do and the products you create and the environment that you create are very important now, and companies are trying to figure that out. You said something really important. The executive team is beginning to communicate in a way they haven't before. There's yeah. a greater need to communicate. Yeah. And there's two ways to look at that. There's the communication where you want to keep your finger on the pulse so you can control, or right. there's authentic communication. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to lead that into a question. Authentic communication requires personal transparency. And the ability to communicate where you are. And this is a message that you embrace, right? What does transparency actually mean? And what does it look like to adhere to that? Because I suspect in that we can unravel this authentic communication between leadership and, and employees, which has been a large disconnect in many corporations. They're two separate entities. They're two different worlds. Right. So interesting. So authentic, by the way, is one of my favorite words. And I, in my practice, I look for people who I think are authentic communicators and seem to have something about them that makes them a little different. And part of that is being your own personal, your real self. And so, you know, in life sciences, we haven't really been impacted as badly as the grocery store and Walmart and some of these essential services hospitals. While our C-suite people have had to learn to communicate in a different way, it's not because their industry is dying or people can't come to work or everybody has COVID. It's because we still have a mission so that the industry, the pharmaceutical industry has a mission to create life-changing or life-saving products for the public or for the patient. And we've had to continue that in the world of COVID. So the communication that our leaders have to do is about sharing the message, sharing the mission, staying on target, while also 
protecting your health and protecting your family and trying to balance everything. The actual communication statements have been different. Like we're not the airline industry where people didn't work for 18 months. Mm -hmm. We're all working. It's how we work and it's about focusing and valuing what we do. And HR people are very involved in this, but communication people are in a way they were never before because you know whether you had a good town hall or not, it didn't used to matter all that much. Now it's, I wouldn't say it's everything, but it is a lot because the competition for people in life sciences is just off the wall in almost every segment of it because the industry continues to grow. And so you have to hold your good people and holding them is about letting them understand why they're there and what impact they make on the company. And that's important to do at all levels by not just the C-suite people, but your typical director, vice president. They're talking to their people about what they're doing and why it's important. And they're probably reaching out a little more informally because holding that umbilical cord together is just so important when you don't see everybody on a day-to-day basis. Mm -hmm. So good. Well, Oliver, we've been talking about a couple of stakeholders, the C-suite and the employees. I'd like to turn the spotlight on a third, and that is the investors. And where Wall Street or where your average Main Street investor or even private equity might fold into this discussion. And that says, yes, we want to keep the lights on and make everybody feel good, but I still need the quarterly returns. Right. So in our practice, about 40% of our practice is with private equity, hedge funds, and those kind of investor people. And for them, the world hasn't changed that much in terms of, I need my return, I need the right people in place, and I'm still focused on my mission, which in the end has to do with recouping what I invested and doing interesting things, by the way, for patients, even though that doesn't appear to be the number one thing. It turns out that whether it's a byproduct or whether it's just, you know, it's why we do this for a living, but there is still really, really interesting cutting edge kind of work being done in cell therapy or certain kinds of rare diseases or biologics that investors at various levels are funding. And their, right, their mission hasn't changed. They don't really notice the day-to-day quite as much depending on the size of the investor, but they're very focused on their return. So they do what they need to do to keep people engaged. And, th- and there, is a, there, is, there is a great deal of money still flowing into life sciences, whether it's diagnostics because of COVID and other kinds of vaccine issues. There is a very active private equity market going on in life sciences, and it, it hasn't really deteriorated much during COVID. How are you finding in other sectors, diversity, equity, and inclusion as playing a large part? They, right. People don't want to work for companies that don't align with their values. How right. are you finding that being impacted in the life sciences arena? Right. And how is that beginning to shift the human resources role within organizations? Right. So I don't want to use the word sea change, but I would mm-hmm. say that since George Floyd and all of the other horrible killings and the consciousness that's been raised about that, not just HR folks, but our industry and every other industry is now focused more on 
diversity, inclusion, and equity. It is a very difficult road, though, for lots of companies because there's just so much work to be done in so many companies. You know, you could hire in as many women and minorities as you can find, but once they're in there, moving them through the system and promoting people and bringing people to the center continues to be extremely difficult for many, many companies, whether they're European companies in the United States or even your typical US companies, look at the number of, of women or minorities who are in C-suites. It is a small number, even though it is a growing number and everybody, including boards, by the way, every board now, that what happened in California, they, you have to have a certain number of women on that board, but there is now a pressure to look seriously at equity inclusion as a corporate mission that often was there, but it was given a lot of lip service. Well, it is critical now. Whenever we get searches now from a major company, we get told right up front, you need to show us a diverse panel. And if you can't show us a diverse panel, you don't get called back a second time because that is critical to boards now. Mm-hmm. Critical to boards. Um, so yeah, it's really, I mean, it is... It's more important now. It will be even more important when COVID is out, whenever we get back to the new normal, because it's not going to go away no matter who's in office and you know what the, what the daily issues are. That's not going to go away. That, that, I think there's been a change there that is going to be long-lasting, difficult to achieve, not overnight, but that is going to be a lasting change, I believe. Yeah, I think it's interesting. You know, once it's out of the headlines and the issue of the day, who will maintain the momentum? So the answer, in corporate America, interestingly, for reasons that I really don't know, boards are now focused on inclusion. And there are board reports on inclusion. There's board consulting on inclusion. And as more women get onto boards, that issue becomes greater because, you know, you look around, you know, and, you know, why aren't you, you know, why aren't there more people like me around? But it's just, I don't know that issue is just going to grow. And maybe it'll grow in a more substantial way so there won't be as much lip service and things will actually get done. But it is very difficult inside companies to make change. Very, very difficult. And it's a, you know, it's a generational issue. But I think to, you, to follow up on your sea change word, I mean, yeah. how hard it is to turn right. some of these corporate entities, right? And so, you know, and a lot of companies want to make these changes, but they just don't quite understand just because you hire person A and person B, that doesn't do it. You know, there's much more to it than that. And a lot of companies, you know, a lot of companies teach diversity and inclusion now, but it's a generational issue because leaders need to be in place that understand and move people up appropriately. And that creates some bad feelings inside companies. And it, it's just it's 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 a growth opportunity for everyone in a company let's just put it that way Mm. yeah i love that you're speaking to that because we need those growth opportunities and if we have self-aware leadership teams then we have the capacity to continually look at that and i mean i'll share from my own experience having been on the board and sat in c-suite of technology companies i was the only woman and but I didn't get invited to the after party, to the private golf games. So there were a lot of non-inclusionary 
experiences. And right. I just I have to throw this curveball because I'd be curious. And Mark, I think this is for you too. If minorities have trouble getting access to education, how then do we create a culture where they're actually qualified to be sitting in these positions, right? So there's still an elitism for education that keeps it to a very select few. I, I, that just popped into my head as we were talking well, about this. So there are systemic problems in our society that you know start when you're born and end when you die five years younger than your white counterpart or seven years younger. And that's why I sort of use the word generational. The problem is that you know, we have a very polarized society today and lots of people don't see it and lots of people don't really care. So you know, at every place in every spot along the societal, you know, whether it's kindergarten, eighth grade, college, your first job, some people make that jump and some don't. And a lot of that is depending on your zip code, sadly, mm -hmm. depending on your zip code. But over time, that can change if people focus on it like a laser, like you do your P&L. You know, whether that will happen or not. Until recently, we only had one woman in our partner ranks. We only had one woman. And uh, she would tell me all the time how uncomfortable it used to be. I'm the only woman. Like, don't you understand why I need some of us were more self-aware than others, but it's not something that's easy if you don't feel it yourself. Like you, you felt it. I probably haven't felt it. It's difficult to do that, but you know, you just have to understand and be empathetic and mm -hmm. understand that. And that's sometimes difficult to tell you the truth. That's why yeah. I think it's, it's a generational thing as more women and minorities move up, some of that will become a little, a little easier, but I think that it's a hard slog for the next 10 years in lots of different industries. Well, very provocative on the yeah. one hand to say there's still issues to be faced, but also maybe some inspiration from your words today, Oliver, yeah. on how we can change. So I appreciate both sides of that. Mm -hmm. My pleasure. Yeah, My listeners, pleasure. our guest has been Oliver Esman. He's managing partner at Strawn Arnold and Associates. How can we connect with you, Oliver, and follow your work? Oliver Esman. E-S-M-A-N at www.strawnarnold.com. We're on the web and we're available every day and we're out there doing work every day for our clients. Fantastic. We'll keep up the good work and keep these okay. issues in the forefront. And Thank Kirsten, you. we'll keep raising these issues. You yeah. know, it's so funny. We think about this word IntelliKey and the podcast has to go in a category somewhere on Apple. And some people <laughs> have said, is this a spirituality podcast talking mm -hmm. about management or a management podcast that allows spirituality to come in? We haven't decided yet. It's we the haven't best figured it out yet. That's right. <laughs> well, well, you, well, you guys are great and you raised some really interesting questions. And I have never talked about some of this stuff in quite this way. Uh, on a podcast before. So I suspect that's pretty interesting to actually just to have the discussion. I thought it was really interesting. Yeah, well, we want to be a voice and a channel for that. Well, you listeners, are. come back next time. We're going to continue this conversation about how to raise the level of awareness of these issues, but also how to reach our own potential, our own soul's purpose in business and in life. So for now, I'm Mark Stenson for Kirsten Goldie and IntelliKey Leadership Stories. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to IntelliKey Leadership Stories with Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stenson. Connect with us on LinkedIn and visit our website, pureintellikey.com. I'm Jared Kajak. Join us again for our next episode of 
IntelliKey Leadership Stories. This podcast is produced by BSB Media. We also host two other podcasts you might enjoy, Unlocking Your World of Creativity and Five Minutes of Peace. Subscribe today and leave a review on your favorite podcast player.